0: And welcome to episode three of Still Watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer, Joanna Robinson.
2: And I'm Vanity Fair chief critic, Richard Lawson.
0: We will be discussing this latest episode, episode three, Power Broker, uh, written by Derek Kolstad and directed by Carrie Skoglund. Um And then in the back third of the show, you'll hear from Anthony Bresnikan as we you know, go a little deeper into some comic book lore. And in the middle, the the, the meat of this sandwich today... Um, my friend, uh, a fantastic uh, culture commentator, cosplayer, host of a Star Wars show, um, Christina Ariel, uh, is here to talk about her perspective on the show as well. So we've got a threefer for you this week. Um, and Christina, and, like,
2: really knows her shit, right? Like, oh, yeah, yes. So you'll listen to me just ramble, and then act, she'll come on and actually, like have stuff to say <laughs> uh
0: yeah christine is gonna be great and um and we'll talk a little i'll give you guys a little bit more context for that right before we go into that uh discussion um we also got some great emails from you guys you can always email us still watching at gmail.com but before we get to those emails um i just want to remind folks of this event that we have coming up uh, at vanity fair it's called cocktail hour uh, April 13th through the 15th we're doing it's, it's sort of like a little festival that we're doing because we can't do the in person glitzy glamoury uh, lead up to the Oscars that we usually do so we thought we'd sort of bring the party online. Let me dazzle you with some of our guests that we have lined up. We've got Serena Williams, Gal Gadot, Michael B. Jordan, um, Haim, Glenn Close, Laura Dern, John Hamm, Amanda Seyfried, Paris Hilton, Andy Samberg, and The Lonely Island, Shaka King, Jessica Alba, and just added Catherine Hahn and Judith Light, and more to come. Uh, and a portion of the proceeds from that event is going to go to the Motion Picture and Television Fund to help support COVID-19 relief efforts. So you can go to vf.com slash live uh to to sign up for that richard what are you most excited for from cocktail hour
2: well i guess excitement is close to nervousness and uh, i've been told by radika jones our editor-in-chief that eno- if enough tickets are purchased i have to perform one monologue from a marvel show for, I, like, you, uh, have you ha- <laughs> so i had to figure out what the hell that's gonna be yeah what
0: what what should it be man
2: i mean i don't know i i was thinking like what if I like wrote a monologue for Wanda Maximoff's gay son? Like so it was like a n- new material and then it could f- also function as me like pitching a pilot to um Disney.
0: What if you wrote a monologue for whoever it was that taught Baron Zemo how to dance? Um, or who
2: made his coat. Yeah, <laughs> frankly. Yeah.
0: Baron Zemo's coat maker um yeah so once again go to vf.com slash live to pick up those tickets i'm really excited for the um the lonely island heim they're doing like a a trivia game that i got to write some questions for so i had a really fun time with that so go check it out and also our very own anthony breskin will be talking to gal gadot so you know there's a lot there's a lot to see in here um at that festival so let us get into some emails richard what do you got for us this week
2: uh, well, the first one is kind of a, uh, a a nice analysis, I think, of some of our characters who, as they're in play in this third episode. Um, uh, James writes to us uh, and says something I'm a bit surprised didn't come up in, and this is you know uh, our discussion, uh, Joanna, about. Um, uh, What what a good Captain America is. Anyway, uh, something I'm a bit surprised didn't come up in the discussion of what makes a good Captain America. A need to stand up to power, up to and including a willingness to oppose the U.S. government. Steve Rogers wasn't the guy the government wanted in the first place, and he had to disobey orders to break out of his USO propaganda role. His next two movies have him argue against Fury's insight and Ross's accords and end with him going on the run. I'm less familiar with comics, Cap, but it's my understanding that many of his most famous storylines, Nomad, Civil War, etc., place him in opposition to a government that fails to live up to its ideals. Anyway, I think that's a defining trait of Steve's, and one I doubt Walker shares, burdened as he is to live up to his image of Cap. It's such an essential extension of his no-bullies mantra that even after he was beefed up on Super Soldier Serum, he was still the little guy in the alley standing up to the powerful. From what we've seen of the, of his high school glory days, it's unlikely that Walker was ever the little guy and always the powerful. His being mm-hmm. handpicked by the U.S. government instead of an outsider and idealist like Erskine is exactly what disqualifies him and makes him too likely to follow orders. I think that's great.
0: I think it's great. I love I love that um, distinction and um, the the idea that Walker at one point says in episode two and i believe like we are the government like yep. he's the opposite of that and also this this um this episode opens with that whole um global repatriation council whatever it's called the grc where we get that like fake commercial that's very wandavision uh, and then smash cut to the van with the GRC logo on the side and out pops John Walker. And it looks so authoritarian and mm-hmm. scary. And it's just sort of like, yeah, this is just complete opposite of, of what Steve believed in terms of like questioning power. Like John Walker is like, I am the power. I am the guy who gets you out of jail as a favor sort of thing. It's just, it's gross, you know?
2: Well, especially because this show is among other things, you know, dealing with, some aspects of race in america and yeah. policing and mm-hmm. there it's a pretty you know um close allegory for police in america and who many times decides or or, 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 or seeks that kind of access to authority uh and and power that they can you know lord over other people um there are a lot of people with that same sort of like megalomaniac impulse in our police force so it stands to reason that this show would have somebody who has always been adjacent to um that those privileges uh who, who wants more of it and wants it codified uh by the government
0: yeah so great email thank you so much and if anyone else has um other ideas of what makes a captain america and all the ways in which john walker is failing to fulfill the prompt uh please do email us stillwatchingpod at gmail.com what else you got richard
2: so this is a really interesting email from stephanie um about an aesthetic detail on the show that actually has some real world um similarity to something in the real world that's very pertinent um so stephanie writes i just started watching falcon and the winter soldier along with you and i'm enjoying it well enough so far one thing that knocked me right out of the show was the appearance of the red handprint across the face as a symbol for the flag smashers i live in montana and the painted red handprint across the face is a very powerful emotional symbol here for the missing and murdered indigenous women movement more often than i can believe we get notifications to be on the lookout for a missing indigenous woman even more often than i can believe she is never found we here in Montana take that symbol very seriously, and it was quite shocking to see it used as anything else. I'm wondering if this symbol shows up in the comics or if this is something the show brought in. I was hoping that this was something you could bring up on your podcast. I am hoping this could be an opportunity for some good to say, hey, you know that red handprint? That is also a symbol for uh, missing and murdered indigenous women. And here is some information about it. So she links to the Wikipedia. If you just search red handprint on Wikipedia, it will come up. Um and she also links to a news article about a large billboard in Missoula, Montana for Jermaine Charlotte. Um, there was a podcast, uh, made detailing her case called Stolen the Case for Jermaine. Uh, so that's Stephanie from Missoula. Um, Missoula's a great town. I've been there. Um, mm-hmm. but, and I thank you, Stephanie, for bringing this. I, I was not aware of, of this, that symbol's meaning, uh, in that, uh, ongoing crisis of missing and murdered indigenous women which is a terrible thing uh afflicting communities all across america and canada um so i don't know joanna do you have any knowledge about about that symbol in the marvel world
0: yeah there's a few things there's there's something called um the red hand gang uh and there's also something called the red right hand um those have been like various criminal organizations uh, in the past. And then there's something called the hand in Daredevil. Um, you might remember them from Daredevil if you remember anything of Daredevil, which are, you know, they're, they're sort of the biggest shadowy, uh, organization in Daredevil. And, um, the red hand print is, is associated with them. But this idea of like the red hand pin on the face, um, which I have seen, um, in uh native i'm for some reason benounced only to the algorithm i get a lot of native american tiktoks and i love it because i'm learning a lot about the culture and um i have seen that um in some very powerful videos that people have posted so um but i hadn't quite made that connection so i appreciate the email but i i um and i and i like that the emailer framed it as like this is a good opportunity to raise some awareness around the, what this means elsewhere um but I'm 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 not sure if uh, if Marvel knew exactly what they were stepping into there. I'm not sure.
2: Yeah, that seems like an unfortunate accident. I would hope, mm-hmm. and rather a kind of appropriation of something that means a lot right now to people. Um, but again, the podcast is called Stolen: The Case for Jermaine about Jermaine Uh And again, you can search Red Handprint on Wikipedia for more information about what that symbol means in the real world.
0: Excellent. Anything else?
2: Yes, uh we have to reckon with ourselves, Joanna. Uh I'm ready. yeah, we, we we made a mistake uh last week, a, a pretty egregious one, I would say, um that Amir um kindly pointed out to us. Um he writes to us, I have a quick comment. In the most recent episode uh of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Joanna and Richard were connecting Sam's character with the common experiences of many black men in America. They mentioned Cornell West was confronted by the police as he was trying to get into his own home in Cambridge, Massachusetts. But it was actually Henry Louis Gates Jr., not Mr. West, who was arrested by the police in Cambridge. He was trying to get into his home after being locked out, and a neighbor reported it to the police. Uh, I don't mean to bring it up as a snooty, well-actually comment, but I do think it's important to clarify. And in general, it's an important moment to reflect on. It was a notable moment early in Obama's presidency. If you remember, that is when Obama invited Mr. Gates and the arresting police officers to the White House for a, quote, beer summit, where they talked about the incident and the larger issues of policing the black community. There were many people who felt electing a black president meant America had officially overcome its problem with race. But obviously that is not the case, not even close, just like with Sam. For some, the prospect of him becoming the next captain America might seem like we've entered the beginnings of a dream, uh, post-racial society. But for myself and many other black people, it only illuminates this country's persistent race issues to an even greater degree. So yes, Amir, thank you for uh, correcting our error. (laughs) Um, uh, you know, there's not really any excuse for that other than we just hadn't <laughs> looked at our facts <laughs> when we were talking about the Henry Louis Le- Gates Jr. Uh, story with him getting arrested, um, you know, near Harvard. Um, and
0: if you if you didn't hear that in the episode, that's because we had our uh, producer snip it out pretty quickly uh, once we were alerted to it last Friday. But um you know, we, we really regret the error. So thank you for uh, several people pointed it out and everyone was actually very kind about it. Um, maybe kinder than I would have been to a podcaster who did that. So thank you all for that. Um, uh, we appreciate you.
2: And I think Amir is so right to, to, to go on and, and sort of tie that moment of Louis Gates Jr. being arrested and, and then the beer summit into what the show is talking about, which is, mm-hmm. um, that, that one, uh, black person, a person of color in authority does not then you know sort of solve everything around that person um mm-hmm. and and that person is indeed still governed uh by racism and 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 forced into corners, as much as obama was much as anyone else uh who uh you know lives in america basically um so yeah i think and i think this episode um gets into that in some keen moments as well you know um we have as the first email pointed out you know this kind of increasing worry about with this new captain america and his role in in authority um and and sam going you know further afield of all that and and still confronting or maybe more more uh, um immediately confronting uh these issues of race both in america and abroad
0: it's interesting, another thing that we got corrected on, um, or not corrected on, but like people were surprised we didn't mention last week was um the when John Walker pulls out a gun um in the fight with the flag smashers on the train. And a lot of people were thought that was really jarring to see. Um and, and it is. Um what's interesting to me, um is how much gunplay there is in this episode. This episode was written by Derek Kolstad, uh, who wrote the John Wick movies, and I think you can absolutely tell that this is this episode was written by someone who did a John Wick uh, film. And it's my understanding that Derek Kolstad was brought in sort of uh, midway through the process of putting the show together to sort of boost its um, its action story bona fides, like that, mm-hmm. like the the cultural commentary that the show is making was already there but um i i believe that derek was brought in to you know make it a little wickier and i think uh this episode uh especially with like a lot of the sharon carter stuff and the the nightclub scenes and stuff like that that just all feels very uh john wick to me how did did that feel like a shift to you did it feel like a natural progression like how how did that feel for you
2: well i mean it felt inevitable you know and and it felt this felt like the the episode closest to um you know the kind of serial action shows that we used to get in the 90s 80s 70s you know uh the the gang finds a, a an enemy and they turn him into an ally for this one episode and they go to a place and they need to find a person and you know it felt very episodic mm-hmm. um in, in that way and i think the action scenes are, are are part of that um i was i i was i guess it's weird because obviously there's so much violence in this whole mcu um and people do die and our heroes do in in kill people you know i was going to say inflict death they kill people they they do uh from time to time um they have tried to give a sort of weight to that and, and have you know we're still talking about things that happened you know many movies ago uh in this episode um but other times it's not given that weight. And I think that the scene with Sharon, where she's, you know, very wick style fighting off all of these bounty hunters who, you know, now have a, a reason to pursue Sam and Bucky. Uh, she gets out a gun and she just shoots people, you know, and I yeah. was a little taken aback by that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it mm-hmm. was a little shocking, um, because it was a kind of blunt violence that, um, you know, to be perfectly honest, I didn't know that Disney plus was going to like allow on their Absolutely. streaming service, you know, um, <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think it, it, it sits well enough in the context of the story. Sharon is kind of at the end of her rope. She's been, you know, basically unpatriated. She doesn't have a home. She just kind of, you know, is, is on the wind, um, living in a non-extradition country. Um, so I guess it makes sense that she would be a little bit more uh, blunt and brutal in, in 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 how she gets things done. But uh, yeah, it was it was odd. It was a it was a kind of a, a tone shift that I wasn't expecting, even if I was expecting a kind of action-y episode.
0: It highlights you know just how little gun use there has been in Marvel movies so far. You know what I mean? You've got your you've got shields and suits and hammers and stuff like that, but like people don't really use. Guns, <laughs> the good guys, anyway. And there, yeah, there's a scene where Sam and Bucky and Sharon are all shooting at the same time, and Sharon does the classic action movie, I'm out, sort of thing. And it's just like, you know, and, and you see blood, which I think is something that, um, they try to avoid in the MCU and stuff like that. And I don't mean to sound squeamish about it. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a grown up. I can watch a John Wick movie, but like, um, you know, I, I, I also thought that, that MCU Disney Plus stuff would be, uh, keep it a little bit more kid-friendly than that you know so i don't mean i mean i don't mean to sound like tipper gore like moralistic or anything like that i'm not like morally offended i was just sort of surprised i guess
2: yeah i mean you know you think about like the the kind of the iconic production still from the first avengers movie where all of the heroes are you know back to back like kind of flexing their power and there's black widow holding a gun and you're like, Oh, that's a, that's it. You know, I mean, Hawkeye has a bow and arrow and you're like, oh, but the gun just kind of glares. And then in um, Thor Ragnarok, um, when is it, is he played oh, by yeah. Carl Urban? Is that, am I? Yeah. yeah. He yes. like reemerges yes. or or comes into the Asgard right. with two assault weapons blazing, you know, and, and that sticks out too. So you're right. The gun, the gun use is so rare in these show, in these, you know, movies and shows Um, from the good people at least that that when there's an instance of it it really sticks out which i guess is a credit to the thing as a whole um but it i don't want to say it felt cheap in this episode but it felt easy maybe it was like yeah the, the more fun thing is to think of what to do without the guns um
0: right and there was a lot of like you know um you know, one of the one of the bounty hunters got like harpooned by a lead pipe, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Well, that, oh, that was interesting." Um, you know what I mean? And that's more interesting to me than like, you know, I think they call it I think they call it gunkata in yeah. John Wick. Um, but you know, that's it's that's a John Wick special. And I actually like actually I still haven't seen John Wick three because I got a little tired of the gunplay. Yeah. Um, But um, yeah, I I mean, I don't anticipate it's going to be like this for the rest of every episode of the season, but I I mean, I I thought I I liked how uh, competent, uh, maybe that's a patronizing word, but that Sharon was, that Sharon was just cleaning up. I thought that was really cool. um, While, while the guys were doing the negotiating sort of thing, you know?
2: Yeah. Um, uh, it, it was fun to watch Emily van camp kind of do that stuff. Um, you know, uh, John Wick 3 is very bad, by the way, you don't need to watch it. Um, okay. I, I watched it on an airplane, which is, a, um, there's like a, a craft that flies through the air that you used to get on, you know, to go other places, um, in the old times. A-
0: airplane? Yeah. Airplane yeah. Uh, Aero, Aero, Aeroplan.
2: aeroplane. Yeah, um, aeroplane. all right. It's, it's like all in the, with the mythology of this assassins, cre- you know, creed essentially like it's, it's not good. um, uh, Derek Kolstad. Uh, if you like this episode, has a movie called Nobody that's out right now with um, Bob Odenkirk. <gasps> that's really fun. Yeah, um,
1: yeah.
2: And anyway, but uh, watching Emily VanCamp do this, I was thinking about. Um, I don't know if you've watched any of we're, we're Crossing. We're crossing the street over to DC, but uh, <laughs> Superman and Lois. Um, it's kind of a. I've heard
1: it's really good.
2: Yeah. It's 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 pretty good. I mean, it's 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 solid. Um mm-hmm. But the show, one of the producers on the show and the director, I believe, of the third episode uh, is Gregory Smith of Everwood fame who has oh. now moved behind the camera. And so watching Emily van camp do her thing on uh, this, this show d- this morning, I was like, look at our Everwood kids. They're, they're, they're just now in the superhero worlds because I guess that's where everyone goes eventually.
0: I, I, lo- I, I, mean, I love this family van camp. Yeah. And, and Chris Pratt, you know, of course has long been in the uh, superhero world. Another, Right? He's an Everword. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I
2: assume Treat Williams will show up somewhere.
0: (laughs) I can't wait to see Treat Williams make him a villain. I would love to see it. Um, But let's talk – okay, in in regards to the violence and the way the violence is connected to the plot, let's talk about what happens to Bucky in this episode. Mm -hmm. Where like, we've seen Bucky. He's in therapy. He's trying to move on. Rule number two of his, you know, process is, you know, do no harm, essentially. And Zemo is like – Zemo from the start is sort of, you know, trying to lecture him and he's like, you know, what if the winter soldier is still left inside of you? I'm going to use your trigger words to see what's in there. Um, Sebastian Stan gives him a nice little like puppy dog look about that. And then, you know, he's like, you got to play the winter soldier for us to go to Madripoor. So, um, you know, it's like, you know, giving a, giving a drug addict, a, a needle full of heroin and here you go. Like, and so it's, as I I love when the Winter Soldier fights mostly because of the like screaming on the soundtrack and the metal whirring from his arm like I am a big watching the Winter Soldier fight fan but it also is tough to watch Bucky backslide uh in that way. Is that was that your interpretation or what did you think?
2: Yeah. Uh you know, it intentional or not, it was one of those moments uh when this thing kind of almost turned to us and was like, so you like this, huh? Like we've been watching this guy yeah. struggle to get out of this, but then it's really <laughs> satisfying when he goes back into it. Yeah. Uh You know, I think there's a probably a lot of uh, questioning to be done about how we process violence in filmed entertainment and what we expect of it and what we want from it. And are we gun shy? Are we not? Are we this, you know Um it. And I think that a lot of that is contained in this character. Um who we both want to be uh the relentless assassin um dispatcher of henchmen the world over uh but also contrite and reformed and and i think that dichotomy is is where he bucky is struggling
0: yeah i thought it was i thought it was a really good episode for him and i thought sebastian stan was really good um as per usual bucky doesn't get a lot of dialogue but so he has to just do a lot of a lot of smolder a lot of suffering smolder if you're going to smolder was... you might as
2: well look like sebastian stan you
0: know <laughs> um but and it makes me think that he's he's so powerful in that bar fight it makes me feel like maybe he was holding back in the flag smasher fight you know what i mean mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. i i feel like he could have i mean sure the the, oh, the it was a bunch of juiced up super soldiers that he was fighting but it just felt like I don't know. Bucky, I'm worried about you. Um, I'm also worried. Like, I don't think it's good news that Zemo noticed the name in Bucky's notebook that meant the most to him. I don't ever think that's good news that Zemo knows that. So, Oh, um, yeah. No,
2: that's not. Yeah. You know. Like, there's a um, reason that came in in the first episode and it was then brought up again in the third. You know? Yeah. Like, there's exactly. something happening there. I think also, you know, talking about Zemo... Uh, you know, trying to sort of get the, the trigger words going. And it's like, maybe it wasn't a word at all. It was just a situation. Maybe the trigger is just like suggestion of like, you know, this is what you need to do, you know, mm-hmm. um, and tapping into that sort of former identity, um, which, you know, I, I, I think the show is doing some, some you know socially conscious stuff elsewhere but I, uh, and, and maybe this is to a lesser extent but i think you know there is a sort of narrative about ptsd in here mm-hmm. and um what a lot of um you know military people uh go through after their deployments um with like what is my utility is am i just an instrument of destruction or violence of of you know horror essentially um and is that i think the fear for a lot of people in that uh, predicament is like is that where i'm like most comfortable at this point
0: mm, yeah yeah it's um i think i think the show is definitely you know they're they're wanting to show a sam's journey sam's journey is obviously like at the forefront of what's going on here, but I think they are interested in Bucky as like someone pointed out, you know, I was making such a fuss about the dog tags in last week's episode. And someone pointed out that we also saw them in episode one, when he sort of woke up shirtless, uh, to the FIFA soccer playing on the television, uh, from his nightmare. And I might've been distracted by something else in that scene. And I didn't the notice soccer. the dog tags. Yeah. yeah it's FIFA yeah. soccer. Yeah. Um, and I didn't notice the dog tags, but, um, yeah so we've seen them in in two episodes now, and maybe the whole point maybe I need to let go of the logistics of tracking them and just remember that they're trying to remind us that he was a soldier you know what i mean mm-hmm. that that's that that p t s d element which connects him to Sam, who talked about trouble coming back from war and to Steve you know that this is a an experience that they all share so um yeah. Uh All right. Let's see. What else do I want to talk about? Oh, speaking of connections, I'm going to mention this just because I feel like someone's going to get mad at me if I don't. But when – uh towards the end of the episode when Sam asks Bucky, like, you're not going to move your seat up, are you? And Bucky says no. That's a callback to Civil War where the roles were reversed. And Bucky asked Sam to move his seat and Sam said no. So I noticed. Don't worry. <laughs> um, But let's talk about Zemo. Uh So Zemo to me strikes me as very, like uh, – you know when Jason Statham gets brought back into the fold in the Fast and Furious movies and you're like, um, he killed so many people? What's happening here? Uh that's kind of felt like the vibe of of Zemo being uh grudgingly put on the team here. How did how did all of that work for you, Richard?
2: Yeah, I I just as with you know fast and furious i don't really mind when something like bends that character history to fit the current thing you know like Mm -hmm. it's like yeah he was really bad zemo but it's kind of fun having him be in this like now like little triumvirate or i guess it's four people with sharon like um there's a there's a a, a side to daniel brule the actor that we don't get to see often because he's always cast as either like you know in like the julian assange movie is kind of this like blank who's watching benedict cumberbatch do his assange thing or a villain you know and and so i feel like it's and it's really fun to see him be a little lighter and and playful um and i think he's good at it and i think that the history that he has with these two characters um really just adds a certain richness to the dynamic um but yeah i mean he is very bad (laughs) although bad for a reason to some extent you know i mean i think similarly yeah. with carly in this episode we're like yeah like they're and we kind of had that feeling about her organization prior to this but like really like, they're kind of like doing it for the for good reasons you know mm-hmm. Z- Z- zemo is not quite that but he has his he he has his motivations that and, and they're grounded in in like understandable pathology i guess
0: Yeah, and I loved, I really liked the flag smasher scene that we got, or the two scenes actually that we got in this episode. And that was sort of what I was like, it's kind of what I felt was missing from their uh, arrival in last week's episode. Like we saw them fight in the premiere, but in episode two, we're supposed to like get to know them a little bit better. And I think they, I think what the show was trying to do was just trying to like hold back from us. Um, how sympathetic we might find ourselves with the smags- flag smashers, like let us think they're villains for a little while, sort of thing. Um, but I, I really liked having some sort of emotional sinew to cling on to um, with Carly, with Aaron Kellyman's uh, great performance in that scene. Um, I just find her a really compelling person to watch, and I, I really liked that scene with her. And I'm glad,
2: yeah, and I'm glad they're taking the time to do it. You know, like they, it's not a huge run of episodes for this show. And that the fact that they're sitting with this character and her associates and showing inside of that some differences of tactic and motivation. You know, um, Carly has obviously taken a turn for the more violent that her at least one of her associates hasn't, you know, and and sort of like shocked by. Um, I think that these could be empty villains who are just like there to be like, you know. Bucky smashed uh and I'm glad that we're actually getting some depth to them. Um and I think that yeah, uh Aaron Kellyman is such a commanding presence in the role. Um can I mention two other things about casting in this episode?
0: Oh, please, yeah.
2: Okay, so do you remember when Zemo takes uh the boys to his private jet and there's this <laughs> elder man like
0: Yeah, the butler. The
2: butler. <laughs> so yeah. that I don't I don't have his name in front of me, I should, but that's Chancellor Arnold from Nine Hundred Two One Zero, who was like what? the head of the college that and Claire's father.
0: That's Claire's father from Nine Hundred Two One Zero. I'm
2: almost a hundred percent sure. Yes.
0: Oh my god. Uh, okay. So I
2: kind of yelped to myself uh, when I saw him. He looks older than he did, but I guess that was thirty years ago almost. So it makes sense. Um, second,
0: Nicholas Nicholas Pryor. Yeah, it's him, wow. right? Yeah.
2: Uh second to that yep um, I texted you about it you didn't respond
0: oh it's not it's not it's, it's not
2: true Trudy Stuyler no, no I thought it was Sting's wife who was playing this you know Selby yeah yeah um, no okay so who was it
0: uh I I don't have her name in okay. front of me. She's an Irish actress, I think. Um She's not a tantric yeah.
2: sex practitioner. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: She's been in a, like Agents of Shield and
2: I was so really hoping it her. was Trudy Styler.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. Maybe that's why I didn't text you back. I didn't want to crush your dreams. Um let us talk about this breaking bad lab that we get to go to in this episode. Um I think that I, I really think they were trying to hammer the Breaking Bad illusion. Like we see the yellow boiler suits and then they had the Mel Torme playing, which was very, very like cook music, Breaking Bad. Um, How did that whole lab sequence like work for you? What did you think of it?
2: Yeah, it worked. I mean, I, 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 I like the show being playful, you know, and Mm -hmm. reference and sort of, you know, I think, there was a given the weighty stuff that the show is addressing i think there was a an all too uh likely danger that like they were going to tilt into sort of self-seriousness and and you know um thinking that this was more weighty than it actually is but i think they're balancing actually that kind of darker consideration of social politics and other things with like playful Marvel action movie stuff and, and humor, you know, I think one, one of the myriad reasons that stuff in the DC realm doesn't quite work as well is that. They never figured out the, 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 the humor of things. Um, and I think the MCU has done that, um, pretty admirably. Um, and I think we saw a lot of that come to bear in scenes like the breaking bad lab.
0: Right. Or, um, Anthony Mackie, Dressed up, uh, having to play a a different crime lord. Conrad Mack, the Smiling Tiger, a comic book character, um... I did freeze frame that photo <laughs> that they put up of the real smiling tiger. I'm pretty sure it's Anthony Mackie. Someone, someone, uh, someone was saying it might be his stunt double, but it doesn't actually look like his stunt double. He has he's had this like same stunt double forever. It doesn't look like that guy. It looks like Anthony Mackie. So I think you know, and they had that line where Anthony Mackie's like, "Well, he does look like me." So like, um, I think they they were kind of playing with that, but also trying to have like a little bit of plausible deniability that like. Maybe this guy could be confused for him, something like that. Let's talk about the ending. Let's talk about the fact that uh, Wakanda shows up right at the end here. Um, Florence Kasumba's character. What did you? Um, what do you think? Like, is this is this too much? Is this the right amount to put into this show? We only have four episodes left, and and Wakanda has arrived. What do you What do you think?
2: No, this is the too much show. Like, this is good too much. <laughs> like, I think that WandaVision couldn't sustain a t- a ton of like. Here's this thing from this Marvel property. You know, like, I, I think they needed to be a little more contained. Ha ha. Mm-hmm. Um, but this <laughs> is like, yeah, why the fuck not? Like, like, and also Bucky has like a relevance to that, that, you know, mm-hmm. he, he, he's part of that story, the Wakanda story in these movies and shows. So yeah, it's fun. And she's so good. And, um, I, I, you know, I've said it a million times on these podcasts now, but like, and I say it a little bit begrudgingly because it is a huge corporate thing, but like, it is pretty impressive how, marvel remembers everything and is like oh we can take that person from this and put them here and you know and and we can elevate this you know lesser character to a bigger role and and in this thing and it all sort of fits and it feels exciting because you're like oh now she gets to do something uh away from uh her co-stars in in black panther um yeah so i say i say I'm, that's great i, I welcome it
0: I, uh, yeah, I'm really excited, uh, that she's here. I mean, I'm a little, I, I don't know where the next four episodes are going, and perhaps that's exactly where they want me, but like Florence Kasumba plays, um, Io, who I believe was, you know, she first shows up in Civil War. I'm pretty sure her part was greatly reduced in Black Panther due to some cuts, and so I'm glad to see her get more to do, um, here. Um, are you saying some... that
2: there's a Kugler cut?
0: <laughs> Release the Kugler cut! Um... I, I would watch
2: that happily.
0: I saw footage of her and Denai Guerrero's character, Koye, like interacting in a way. I've I've talked about this before, but I will say it here. I saw footage when I visited the Marvel offices of them uh, interacting in a way that implied that they might have a relationship, and I it was cut from the final thing. So um, I don't know. Maybe maybe they'll open that road back up uh, for us to go down. The, but
2: the Marvel yeah. offices are on a helicarrier, right?
0: It's a series of three helicarriers, and you have to have like uh, Anthony Mackie in his Falcon wings personally flies you from one carrier to another. Um, So, Um, all right, is there anything else you want to talk about? Stolen Monet's Zemo's dance moves? Anything else Um, to get to in this episode?
2: What is this nation state in Indonesia? Is this a big thing in the comic books?
0: Mm, Madripoor, yeah. So Madripoor is like a fictional, um. sort of criminal uh, underground-esque place in in the comic books, uh, largely associated with the X-Men, and will probably show up again in in, uh, some of the movies that they've got cooking. Um, But yeah, it's sort of like Wakanda or Sokovia, um, you know, a fictional place that they use yeah
2: it it, i mean given that they went to a bar full of reprobates it felt very mosaisley you know uh yeah yeah and and i kind of i was thinking that the reason i asked about it is just like i'm like they don't introduce this whole landscape without no coming back to it you know because it's interesting it's like this yeah almost like singapore but like with criminals and and uh what was it like low city and up city or a high city or something? City, yeah. yeah. Like I, yeah. that <laughs> geographic differential was interesting. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. So I would, I would happily spend more time there and, and, you know, yeah, I know I thought, that Trudy yeah. Styler's dead now on the show, but <laughs> prequel <laughs> and it could I actually mean, be it, Trudy Styler at that time.
0: <laughs> tantric sex zombie. Who knows? Who knows what tantric sex can help you endure? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Magipore, uh, I thought the design was beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, and I'm excited to see them use that place more. You're, you're totally right. And I mean, that's, that's the thing about these Marvel TV shows is they're constantly dropping breadcrumb trails that lead elsewhere, you know? So when we go back to Magiapur in a future movie, audiences can be like, oh, I've been there before.
2: And, 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 uh, going on what you said, like. It's another element we saw some in WandaVision of like them easing the X-Men stuff into this mm-hmm. world. So that's exciting. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Some people have a sort of pie in the sky idea that Hugh Jackman's going to show up in Falcon Winter- So, I mean, we're just back on the merry-go-round. We learned nothing from WandaVision. And <laughs> people are like, Hugh Jackman is Wolverine. I was like, let the Manny pasta. He's done playing Wolverine. Let him, let him rest. Um, it's
2: like, do you know what happens to a Falcon struck by lightning or whatever? <laughs>
0: Same thing that happens to everything else. Um, all right. Well, that was episode three. I'm i I'm excited. We're going to see where we go from here. Um, let me – I want to set up this interview with, with Chrissy and Ariel uh, just a little bit. So, like, as I mentioned, she's an actress. She's an incredible cosplayer. You should Google her. It's incredible stuff. Uh, she's a tabletop gamer, and she hosts the Star Wars High Republic show. And that might be a reason why, even if you aren't familiar with her cosplay and acting work and stuff like that, you might have heard her name because – there was um a really uh unfortunate is too mild a word like really repulsive campaign to get her fired from this Star Wars show before it even started. That came from, you know, the usual right wing, uh, trolls, you know, Ben Shapiro, et cetera. Um, because she had tweeted some things about black lives matter and that were taken wholly out of context and weaponized against her. And, uh, you know, that whole like bad faith argument of like, she's racist towards white people. Um, and it's, it's ongoing. It hasn't, the harassment hasn't stopped, but like, um, had you had you heard anything about this, Richard? Is this on your radar?
2: Yeah, no, I'd heard about it, but I think mm-hmm. um, I didn't dig in because uh, I find that stuff so depressing and awful. And you know, uh, I guess I owe it—I owe her the attention and be like, you know. But uh, yeah, I it's it's so gross that that stuff keeps happening.
0: So we didn't talk about that explicitly, um, but she's definitely you know talked about that elsewhere. You can read about it, um, but we um. You know, when I first, I asked her to come on because I, the first time I ever saw her was she was in a Captain Marvel cosplay. And I was like, Oh, I want to talk to Christina about this. And she told me that she had read all of the Isaiah Bradley comics and stuff like that. So I wanted to talk to her about that. So, um, she, uh, she's here, but I just wanted you guys to have that context, uh, that you might apply it to some of the things that she says. So we didn't speak specifically about it, but there's some general stuff that might, might hit a little differently if you know that context. So let us go ahead and hear from Christina. The Run for Revogue is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am friendly, um, Who should be the mayor of New York?
1: We all support yeah. that. We support that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Very nice. Nikki. Yes. It's been
1: really great Cheer being in this beautiful
0: pink room. All right, Asher, can you hear us?
1: I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me?
0: We can. We can.
1: All right, here we are. <laughs>
0: On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run-through until we are AWOC. Can you tell us what AWOC means? It means um, AWOK, Anna Winter OK. I'm Minardi And I'm Chloe Mel, And we're the hosts of The Run-Through with Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's AWOC.
2: Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
0: I am so happy to have you here on the podcast. So, so thrilled to have you here, and um, I—it's funny you remember exactly what I remember, which is that I first, quote unquote, met you when you were in Captain Marvel cosplay. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your relationship with with Marvel and the comics and the whole the whole Marvel universe?
3: Um, I am an avid fan of the Marvel universe and have been. I think my my big foray was or entree, I should say, was X-Men. I used to watch X-Men animated series with my dad and I loved it. Those were the first comic books that I had. And my favorite superhero, of course, is Monica Rambeau. So as you can probably imagine, I've been extremely excited <laughs> coming out of WandaVision and actually being like, There's Monica? <laughs> and I just, oh my gosh, that was my one of my dream cosplays. You saw my First, the Carol Danvers version of the costume was what you saw with the leak picture. And then I got to do Monica Rambeau at the in-game premiere as well as at NYCC, uh, New York City Comic Con. And it was the best day ever because I was walking around just on cloud nine feeling like the coolest superhero in the entire world. <laughs> and I love... Just what they've been able to do, especially with the MCU and now going into the MCU television version. It's interesting to see the stories that they're able to tell and how they're able to flesh out some of these characters that we wouldn't get the opportunity to see otherwise. And that's what we're getting into with Falcon and the Winter Soldier.
0: And are you you mentioned to me that you had done some comic book reading um, specifically that's tied into this show, right? I did. Um, I've
3: had them for years now. It was great. The last couple of days, I actually sat down and reread them. But it's the Truth, Red, White, and Black series, which I think you've talked about on the podcast before. And it's it kind of ties the story of the Super Soldier Serum in with the story of the Tuskegee Experiment. Which, if you've never seen Mrs. Evers' Boys, it's really great, and it's tied to it also in the Marvel Universe because Alfred Woodard plays the distraught mother in the beginning of Civil War that confronts Tony Stark, and she plays Mrs. Evers and Mrs. Evers Boys. It was based on Mrs. Rivers, who was the actual lady from the Tuskegee experiment. So the Tuskegee experiment was where they did a syphilis experiment and told, took rural African-American men and told them they were going to get free medical treatment for syphilis, but they really wanted to see the effects of syphilis on the body, so they let them deteriorate over years and gave them placebos and made them think that they were actually being treated, that they never really were. And so um, in a similar vein with the super soldier serum, they took these African-American soldiers and everyone that they could fit into a military Humvee, they took with them and those that they couldn't fit, they killed. (laughs) So there were no witnesses to this story, including even the captain. And it was just, it's a really powerful story of the dark side of our country and our history. And they're hard truths. It's part of why the title is truth. Like if you look at the story of Captain America with Isaiah Bradley, who we got to see introduced at the end of the last episode, which I'm really glad to see him still have a little bit of his power because there's a really sad ending in the comic book spoilers where he loses all of his capabilities. He becomes a simpler man and he is just a shell of who he used to be. And you think about these soldiers, their families were told they were murdered. (laughs) They were told that they were killed while they were being experimented on to the point where some of them legit exploded from the super soldier serum. And it's, it's just about how people can think of a life as less like less enough to do these experiments to make sure they're safer for other people and it's just that they were used and thrown away and I think in a way like having Bucky introduce Sam to there, you're seeing this other part of a story that you wouldn't get to see in a movie you're getting to see the nuances of these characters or what I hope will be understanding why Sam might have been reticent about taking on the mantle of Captain America to begin with to pick up this symbol that belonged to a symbol of truth and justice in the American way and all of these different things. Yes, that's Superman, but it applies (laughs) to Captain America if you think about it and you know it. So it's, to come into that, And know that you're doubting yourself like Steve believed in him, but he doesn't believe in himself enough. But I don't know if it's necessarily him not believing in himself, but it's the other stuff that comes with it. Like you see that this man has saved his country, has been blipped away and he comes back and he can't even get a home loan, which is a very common situation that a lot of African-Americans face when you go into a bank and you're already an unreliable lender because of a stereotype or because like that's the belief even though it culturally like i know in my family it's like own land own things like that's always been the lesson
0: mm-hmm. but
3: you can't own things that people won't let you yeah and oh so i have I, a lot of
1: thoughts
0: well no, something that i thought was really interesting around that I, I know that you heard us have some discussion around that in earlier episodes of this podcast and it wasn't until i saw i think it was a tweet from the Four All Nerds podcast is a great show, um, and they're covering Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And the hosts of that show were talking about um, how everyone is zeroing in on that bank loan scene as like a as a quote unquote plot hole. Like, why wouldn't you know? Surely Tony would have left him some money, or surely he called Pepper Potts, or why does he need a bank loan? And um, and the hosts were expressing this frustration of like it felt like the people responding that way to this very real, very upsetting reality for black Americans, black people around the world, I'm sure is just felt like a way to brush aside something that felt very potently true to a lot of people watching the show. Do you know what I mean?
3: I think in a lot of situations, it's not necessarily the people don't want to face the truth. It's just that the truth of it makes them uncomfortable. So they'd rather ignore it than dive into that emotion because it always feels, I think the worry is that it's an attack when it's an education attempt. Mm. And one of the things that I have said before is if someone confides in you about racism or about an experience that they've lived, it's not them trying to hold you accountable for the acts of someone else or it's just them trying to let you know that they trust you enough to have that confidence and have that conversation and what you do with it kind of dictates the rest of that but it's not an attack it's a sharing but when you're dealing with these stories you're dealing with generational trauma versus generational guilt mm-hmm and to have those two things going head to head when it's like hear me hear me hear me i'm not hearing you because i didn't do this i'm not the one who did this so why are you talking to me about it because i wow. trust you yeah because i i want things to get better not because i want there to always be a conflict or an issue it's because we want this story to be told so that it can get better. So the next generation doesn't have to suffer it. So the next generation doesn't walk into a bank and have to be prepared to, to fight, to prove themselves worthy of something like that. They're working hard, that they may have even saved money in a down payment and still been turned down for. And that scene was really powerful because like, even with, Sam being who he was, even with the celebrity, Sam is still a black man in America. And which I really appreciated them having Rhodey come in at the dedication ceremony at the Smithsonian, because that is the person that he could relate to that has an understanding of the complications of the decision that he had to make or that he felt forced to make because he didn't feel worthy and I think that's one of the great things about Captain America is Captain America doesn't just automatically assume himself worthy like Steve Rogers didn't walk around and say I'm worthy I'm this like even with picking up Mjolnir like he didn't even want to hurt Thor's feelings he could have picked it up easily but he didn't because he wasn't trying to show off like there's I think it seems like, oh, like it took strength for him to not pick up the mantle, or it was a cowardly thing to do. But I think at the end of the day, it's also about survival. That's a big thing to take up. You've lost five years of your life. Your family is suffering. You just want to help. And he goes and he helps abroad, but he can't get it right at home.
0: Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't thought of it that way.
3: And I mean, I'm a, I'm an army brat, like both of my dads together did my dad, my stepdad did over 40 years in the military and they love their country. They love to serve it. It was their honor to do so. But at the end of the day, you come home and you have the VA to deal with and hope that you can get the proper medical treatment after giving your body and your time. And then you have to fight for treatment when you get home. It's a very real story
0: looking into the publication of Truth, Red, White, and Black, and there's this thing that Axel Alonso, who was the then sort of head of Marvel, said he was talking about the inherent politics of wrapping a black man in red, white, and blue, um, and that they had a chance to tell a larger story, and metaphor of America itself. And I'm just wondering, like, how much you think that idea that's behind that comic, how much that idea feeds this show and Sam's conflict in this show?
3: I think with that ideal... It's it's true. It is a hard thing to to grasp. Loving something so much that you feel may not love you in the same way. That you are like we're, we're centuries later. You're born here. You were raised here. You served here. But you still have to have a qualifier on your American. Like you're still Mm -hmm. seen as less than and then to know what you face here and to know that if I say I'm hurt by this, I have to quantify my hurt, share my trauma and lay myself bare for you to even give me an inkling of understanding or compassion because I'm coddling your feelings over mine and you have this idea that this man is going to come in and be accepted. Like that he's going to come in with this history that we have, that we hide from because it's uncomfortable. This person has to come in and not only carry the flag, but also carry the hurt of a people. And it's hard to see how I think the reality of it is that our country has a very painful history and talking about it is extremely uncomfortable and it does create this struggle within some people to say, how can I, (sighs) I think it was James Baldwin who said, I love my country and I love my country to a paraphrasing to expect better of her.
0: Mm.
3: And I think that that's the struggle in it is you love your country and you want to represent your country, but do you feel like your country is going to love you enough to accept you in this position? That you're going to have that same level of safety as, say, John Walker coming in and immediately being accepted and not necessarily, like maybe still having that feeling of maybe I'm not good enough, but also being able to walk out to acceptance and not whispers or concern mm-hmm. or from think pieces on whether Captain America has gone woke. <laughs> like It's, it's an interesting, it's a lot. That's what it is. It's a lot. The, just the weight of that decision. I understand it and I understand why he thought that he was doing the right thing and donating the shield and then to have it be like, "Uh, oh, no, you know what? Actually we need the symbol. We thrive on the symbol. Then to find out that there was another symbol prior and he was left, <laughs> left behind. This man was sent to jail and tried for stuff that he did while Captain America, that he was sent to do. like There's so many larger conversations within just the truth comics themselves. And I don't know, I think, was it Macklin Spellman? He said he's not going to, they're not really diving into it in that way. Because, I mean, those comics, when you read them, they are emotional it's it's a very hard honest read but it shows that wider story that we're dealing with of what do you do when you don't think you're good enough because you've been told you're not good enough your whole life
0: assuming that we might see isaiah bradley again hopefully like what what would you want from that story um it translated into this tv show
3: I guess I would just want a conversation that rings true about the weight of what's being asked, the weight of taking up this mantle and becoming a symbol for the country, for the world, and just a real conversation about the hurt that's obviously there. The reality of this experience, this lived experience that so many have had, and I just would like to see it given grace and, th- like, there's no putting a band on it. Like, this is not, uh, we can fix this issue or these issues or this self-doubt in a couple of episodes. And... It'd be interesting to see how that's continued in other stories. I mean, even in Wandavision, we saw like dealing with a little bit of like with sexism with Darcy coming in, like she's Doctor Lewis, and right. the like the way that they're bringing those stories. I hope that it speaks. I hope it sparks a larger conversation, but I hope it sparks a conversation where people listen and hear that like these are the experiences of people and someone's experience isn't an attack, like, it's a confidence. And so I hope that they treat this conversation with respect and I think that they will do so because the fact that the little nuances of the bank, and things like that are there, it gives me hope that Uh, there's a larger story being story being told beyond just superheroes
0: i'm curious i I was talking to you a little bit before we started recording about like how um i felt like a female perspective was necessary to understand understanding wandavision that there was this whole like undercurrent of like hysterical you know the, the the like negative trappings of hysterical female stereotypes that have hung around wanda for so long in the comics and how Home, all the work that the show was doing to try n- to not present that story. And um so I'm curious like from from your view uh if you have any thoughts on this like what do you think some people might be missing in their reading of Falcon and the Winter Soldier if they don't have that context, that lived context, you know.
3: I think it's okay. So I have to go into my whole WandaVision thing so with (laughs) with WandaVision like it's a story about grief all of these stories are about coming out of grief and with each chapter like you saw the stages of grief that Wanda was working through like the way that that was set up that's how like I read it each of these episodes is a different stage of grief like each of these decades represents another stage of grief and if, if you've ever had to to truly grieve to the pits of your soul. You understood that struggle that she was having. Like, of course, someone's going to be hysterical. Of course, someone's going to act. Of course, someone's going to construct a giant imaginary universe where they can bring their loved one back and not have that pain and try to block things out. That's not hysterical. It's love and it's pain and it's honest. And with this with this lived experience of Sam it's honest to go into like there's no way he could just say I'm going to be Captain America without thinking about the implications that come with him being a black man and it's not something you can take off it's not something you can change not that you'd want to it's who you are. And sometimes it presents itself before you do. It's like when you walk into a room and people are like, can I help you? Like, what are you doing here? Okay. I'm here for the same reason as everyone else. Okay. Well, can you prove that? And then you're greeted with, if you speak in a different way than people expect you to do. Oh my goodness, you're so articulate. Like there's all these things that greet you before you greet someone else. Uh And it's almost like you are proving yourself before like anyone's giving you a chance. And like, that's part of that struggle for Sam is who are you going to be like, yes, I know you as a superhero, but do I know you as the superhero? Do I know you as this figurehead? And it's gonna be a, an internal struggle as it would be because it's like, even with the cops coming, like yeah, Bucky was the one with the warrant, but Sam was the one who looked suspicious.
0: Right.
3: And that's the, I think that was another nod that they threw in there that was very real. Like, it, for them to stop coming at him, even with Bucky saying, hey, like, do you know who this is? It's only then where it's like, oh, crap, this is someone that's notable. That's a problem. Right. Those are very real experiences to not necessarily the Falcon, but to Sam. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that we're seeing Sam, the person, Sam, the man, not just Sam who was named Black Captain America. And like, I remember sitting in the theater when I went and saw Endgame and I was super pregnant and very emotional. (laughs) And I just remember like Steve, when he asked Steve, he's he's like, it feels like it belongs to someone else. And he's like, does it? And the fact that like that question could spur this whole thing. And that's the question that lives in his head. Does this belong to someone else? Have I earned this? Can I live up to what Steve Rogers was? And like even outside of everything, that's enough as it is to just create this anxiety of am I worthy? But I just remember sitting there thinking, Oh, baby could be Captain America. <laughs> just super emotional. Like, I like I like it was a powerful moment. But then to see, not just, I I think that the story has to be done this way so that if Sam does become Captain America or if Bucky becomes Captain America, it's not forced. It's, this is this person's journey. This is his story. And his story has a couple of more turns than it would be for him to be Steve Rogers and just walk right out or John Walker. Like there are more layers to it, and there's no avoiding that because it's the truth <laughs> bringing it back to the title truth and what <laughs> but like that's the reality of it is, yeah. is this is this is truth, and we are getting the truth of Sam's story and I think it's it's important because a lot of people would respond and say, oh, they just threw him in there because forced diversity like even if it's in a comic book and this is a a true story that we've seen, there's also the side of Bucky and it's like Bucky, who's had this, who's on this redemption trail and trying to make amends, but he was a weapon. He has PTSD from the things that he did, that he was programmed to do, that he has to unlearn, behaviors he has to unlearn. And it's hundreds, hundred years of behavior to unlearn. And like, those are two very powerful stories. Yeah. Like, it's separate in the ways that they are but they are the same story of two men struggling to live up to this icon that they called friend, and that's at the core of it
0: i'm curious what you make of their characterization of john walker um because i think i personally think it's very interesting to make him not like an out and out mustache twirling villain but something a little bit more insidious in that there's like plausible deniability around his the patronizing way that he treats sam and and bucky um and i'm wondering if that sits well with you uh as as a good representation of just sort of white entitlement or or whatever else it may be
3: um here's my feeling with that because i remember the scene where Uh, the therapist asks and she says who cleared that and he's like like me like the way that he wields the power that Captain America gives him and uh, all that hesitation that we saw when he's first introduced you kind of start to see fade into the like the machismo of it, the power of it. And it's one of those things where absolute power corrupts absolutely. So you're giving this person this power that they didn't know Steve. They didn't have the counsel of Steve and him explaining what that mantle meant or seeing him in action. But you scored well on test and you were <laughs> like, oh, it's. I have so many feelings about that guy. But <laughs> like that's and it's no shade to Wyatt Russell like go on dude I'm, I'm proud of you you have leaned into like that feeling that people have where you're like oh like I don't know like I know I'm supposed to like you but I don't and he's walking that line very well it's good acting yeah. I appreciate it yeah. I'm not gonna hate on the dude but it's oh, there's so many layers to that part of it. And him, there was something that just rubs me personally the wrong way about him making calls and saying, oh, Captain America cleared it. And just the way, there's a smarmy vibe to it that I don't like. It just does not sit well with me because I don't think of Captain America that way. Like, I don't think of the, like, you know you're not gonna see Steve walking around and being like oh yeah called in a favor and like doing finger guns or something Uh like I feel like he's gonna do finger guns it's gonna happen and you're gonna be like what and then it's like the way that he was like fighting with the super soldiers and then like pulls his gun to like shoot yeah I don't know like that was did that, that part didn't stick out to you at all
0: No, it's so funny. We had a lot of feedback after we did episode two that everyone's like, why didn't you talk about the fact that John Walker pulled out a gun? And um, I think we should have. It's interesting. Steve actually did use a gun in the first Captain America movie, like, you know, when he's in war. Uh, And then he actually used one in Avengers. And then he stopped. And I like that Captain America doesn't use a gun. I, I prefer it um but it is funny because like i think we've we've sort of slightly rewritten history to be like steve rogers would never i'm like well steve rogers did did but he
3: did but it doesn't feel right It doesn't now. feel right
0: it doesn't feel right at all no it doesn't i agree with you like
3: my interpretation of captain america would never number- like it's <laughs> it's kind of like at the end of superman when he snaps his neck and everybody's oh my god superman just killed somebody and you're like Ooh. yeah like people change <laughs> I, don't, I don't know but i mean there's just something that just didn't feel right about yeah. that being his first line of defense as as captain america
0: completely what do you make of them giving him a, a black best friend and a and a non-white wife
3: mm, well i am in an interracial marriage so i'm like okay like that part doesn't bug doesn't bother me because love was (laughs)
0: white i've heard a couple different takes on it like one some people are like this is a perfect example of like how someone can perfectly embody the white patriarchy while having a non-white wife and a black bastard like that does not inoculate you from racism or oh hold
3: on let me get let me get into that very quickly okay yes here's the thing someone being married to someone of the other race does not mean that they cannot have internal biases they cannot have behaviors that they need to unlearn and it also does not absolve you from anything it's like oh well I couldn't be because my spouse is okay well I've also there's people that say well you can't experience racism anymore because your your partner is white my partner's skin tone and privilege does not affect the way that I move through life as a black woman. It takes nothing away from my experience, my lived experiences as a black woman that I still face. And I don't know if anybody, if you really want to go there, 1964 was when anti-miscegenation laws were knocked out, but they also still interracial marriage wasn't really legalized. I think in Alabama, it was in 2010 when it was finally legalized. So if you think that that's like a cakewalk, uh, hate to tell you that people still aren't too thrilled about it. But <laughs> <laughs> like, you can you can have a partner of a different race and still not understand their issues. Or there are people that are in in a relationship interracial relationship that don't try to understand what their partner goes through because it's not their experience. And with all of these things, it's about understanding the story of someone's experience that they're sharing with you versus that's not true because it never happened to me that couldn't happen because it never happened to me and with the john walker is, is obviously a a symbol <laughs> and I, I understand what they're trying to do with him and it's not to say that this man is not could not be worthy and it's not to say that one of these two people has to be the person that's worthy or it has to be sam but there's a reason that steve would give that shield and to have it in the hands of this person who we have no emotional ties to we have no true way to judge him so the only thing that we can say is oh like he's replacement steve they even gave him a black best friend like
0: there's also been some conversations I've seen around this idea of like Marvel and the history of the black best friend. You know what I mean? Like you've got Rhodey who you mentioned, Rhodey to Tony or um, Maria to Carol or um, Sam to Steve or Lamar here to John. I think what's so interesting, you know, obviously like Marvel has been doing its slow roll towards um, n- not all heroes need to be white guys named Chris, right? But like, um, I think it's really interesting to take this show it's not like they're, they're interesting they've done like with Black Panther or or maybe some other things that are coming up where they're centering black characters and this is like, we're not just centering any black characters, we're taking a black best friend and he is the center of the show. I mean, I know it's called Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but Bucky really does feel like you know, a plus one here. And it's a Sam story, right? With I love Bucky, much loved Buck, but like this is Sam's story, and so I think it's interesting for them to move that character out of the like token best friend role into the spotlight of his own series.
3: Who can be a hero? I think the constant question in all of this is who can be a hero, and yes, these people have been placed into roles of best friends but we can lead a story too. (laughs) Yeah. uh, I think that at a certain point, you have to just tell the stories. There are multiple stories. There are multiple origin stories possible. And those stories need to be told. Kids need to know that, yes, it's fantasy, but that they could grow up and, be a hero. They could be a Captain Marvel. They could be a Falcon. They could be something more. And I always think about the fact, like, when I when I cosplay, there's kids that I see at conventions that are like, oh, like, I didn't know that this character could be Black. And it's like, these characters can be anyone. First of all, they're fictional. So, yeah, like... <laughs> Just change a couple details and it's like it doesn't there's always this thing because unfortunately we are still in this era where we're just getting to first for a lot of like BIPOC communities like for black people for indigenous people for asian americans like we're with still oh this first hero this first this and it becomes overshadowed by, "Oh, they're just trying to squeeze these people in." It's like, no, we're just trying to tell another story from a different perspective and another lived experience. We've seen these stories over and over again. Put Rody in a movie, like <laughs> put Sam in a show. Like, do these things, tell these stories, because there's a lot that people can learn from seeing someone else's experiences depicted. It's not to force anyone out. It's not to become the only voice. It's to showcase a multitude of voices and that's what we need to do. And it's not like, oh, well we're relegating people to sidekicks. Write them as a main character. Like just do it, just tell a different story and then have people in the writers rooms who have those same experiences like this writer's room for Falcon and the Winter Soldier, where you are getting the nuances of those experiences, where you are getting those underlying stories that you may not know personally, but there is a whole other part of the world that you don't interact with that is seeing themselves represented and it's powerful. Because you can't empathize with a story if you don't know it. You can't come to an understanding if a conversation gets shut down because it's not your lived experience and you've never had it. These these characters need their stories told. I understand we're talking about the, the Black best friend trope. Like, we don't need another sassy friend. We need a story on the forefront that shows young Black girls that they can be a superhero. Like we're going to see with Monica. And that makes me so happy. Mm-hmm. To know that my niece and all these people are going to see themselves and know that they can do it and it's not just like even when I'm Wonder Woman I have little kids of all races that come up and they're like oh my gosh it's Wonder Woman because they just see a hero kids are just going to see a hero so let them see a hero let them see themselves as a hero let them see various versions of themselves as heroes like we don't need just one and done just tell mulch like there are you cannot tell me there's not the money and means to tell all of these stories for multiple people to get their voices heard. Like you say, there's no original stories. There are original stories baked into generations of not, I think, oh, I'm going to say this. I think it's easy to dismiss things because it's, oh, you're so strong. You are so strong when what you're seeing as strength is just survival. Like we need to see people thriving and living and having nuanced experiences, having just something different, but the same, like, but at the core of all of these stories, it is a human lived experience and it just makes your life richer to know more stories, to have more experiences outside of your own. It just enriches you as a person
0: i think about that all the time actually as it pertains to star wars i just think about the generation that grew up with the sequel trilogy that you know for all of its bumps in the road of which there are many like to grow up with a sequel trilogy where you've got like ray and finn and poe and like all these kids are just going to grow up and being like yep that's what heroes look like those three people do you know and what that means um if you want to have a really good time, if you're listening to this podcast and you want to have a really good day, uh, you should Google Christine Ariel uh, Arielle, uh, Wonder Woman cosplay because it is just your Wonder Woman is extraordinary. <laughs> All your stuff is so good, but your Wonder Woman is like next level good. So, um, yeah. I'm so glad so, oh,
3: Marvel tie in. So I did. Okay, one of my favorite runs of any comic is The Amalgam Age. And so for LBCC, I did wakandan wonder woman so it's the makeup of, Sh- of Shuri of Shori with the wonder woman and it's one of my favorite things in the
0: entire world it's gorgeous absolutely gorgeous um all right well before we go is there anything else like is there anything else you want to see from falcon the witch soldier anything you're excited that you hope is is coming up
3: um seriously i want more erin kellyman because yes. she is just like the second she did that smirk i was like this is gonna be great like uh, she's just so good at just commanding the space that she's in she did it in solo she did it in this and it is like knowing that she might be because i don't it's one of those things where you're like who's the big bad who's the big bad of this and I think sometimes these emotions are the big bad, like the people who resent the people coming back from the blip and the effect it had and like how the world, they think the world was better, but you also have this story of Sam wrestling with himself. Then you have Bucky dealing with his PTSD and his grief and there's so much that can be done. And I want to see like the fact that we have the quote unquote, bad guy from the Flag Smashers like having an intimate moment with their partner before they lose them and like God only knows what that's going to spur like it's there's a lot of emotions and I'm loving that Marvel is dealing with these big emotions because we've all been trapped in the house with big feelings dealing with loss and so much in the last year that it is really nice to just watch someone else process it while also doing so vicariously through their trauma processing
0: process their own trauma whilst uh, it's a multitasking experience
3: um, didn't mean to cry my own tears but I did <laughs>
0: Um. alright if folks want more of you and how could they not where can they find you on the internet and elsewhere
3: you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Christina Ariel K-R-Y-S-T-I-N-A-A-R-I-E-L-L-E Christine Ariel that's the name my mom gave me um and yeah you can find me on there and you can find me on starwars.com and the official star wars youtube where I host star wars the Higher republic show and I also am in a game called idol champions of the realms you can play as my character Arisa who's one of my original tabletop characters for D&D uh and I'm on a bunch of D&D shows but if you follow me you'll see me post all that stuff and then you can watch it or listen
0: hey <laughs> Excellent. And one more one more Google recommendation for me uh, is also to look up uh, Christina's Captain America costume because that is also incredible. So um, check it out. Thank you so much for, for chatting with me. I really appreciate it.
3: Oh my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, Joanna.
1: You come to the New Yorker radio hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo, Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton, or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: All right, here we are in the home stretch of this episode of, uh, still watching. We have been to the, what is it called? Lowtown? Lowtown. <laughs> uh, no,
1: she has a, Sharon has a, a place in Hightown.
0: I know. We've been to Lowtown. Now, now we're in Hightown. That's now what I'm Hightown. here to say. <laughs>
1: when you're, when it's, when you're with the two of us, you're always in Hightown. Yeah, always in Hightown.
0: <laughs> um, all right. So, so here we go. Let's, let's, uh, let's start with Sharon, Miss Sharon Carter. Um, what do you make of, her appearance in this episode anthony brestigan
1: i think she looks uh very glamorous for a person on the run <laughs> like she's very well styled and put together like i uh i would have guessed living on the run in like a notorious hive of scum and villainy in the marvel universe <laughs> would have uh uh scruffed her up a little bit but uh looks like life has been good on the run on the lamb Which brings
0: me to my first theory of this segment. Um, This episode's called The Power Broker. Mm -hmm. We don't know who The Power Broker is. Hmm. Do you think Sharon Carter is actually The Power Broker?
1: That would be an interesting twist. Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, look, she was Johnny on the spot with the assassination of (laughs) Selby, whoever that was. (laughs) You know, like we get introduced to this character and... uh, uh, before the show, Joanna and I were both like, "Oh, we got to research who Selby is. I don't know that one." And and then she gets uh, iced like five minutes into her. <laughs> she got gut.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> like, oh, uh, we hardly knew ye. Mm-hmm. But um, Imelda Corcoran plays this. I don't know what would you. How would you call her? Just sort of like a underworld uh, lieutenant, sort of.
0: boss Some sort of boss Yeah.
1: And she gets assassinated. You know. Pretty quick. And, uh, you know, how did Sharon know they were there? I think that's a good theory. I Clearly mean, see, something so- else is going on. Cause she has her partner, um, who wasn't right. really identified by name. Right. Um, uh, and so there's, there's some alliance happening. She's not off on, she's not in the wilderness.
0: There's, there's two, three possibilities as I see them. Number one, she's the power broker, which would be, I think kind of fun actually. um, you know, it's it's hard to imagine Peggy Carter's niece going there, but at the same time, like we like a big question is was Sharon Carter blipped? The answer is, um oh god, I I I vowed to not let the the blip happen. Snapped was was Sharon Carter snapped? Has she been out in the like in the wilderness for two years or for five years? That's the question, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I think um in Endgame. She, she pops up as missing, like, you know, they, they scroll through all these people, right? Sharon Carter popped up as missing, and that could mean she was snapped, or it could mean that she was just, you know, hiding out in Magipore. So, um, we don't know the answer, but I kind of love the idea. I mean, because, she, uh, Emily Van Camp is, like third build for this series, <laughs> so and she yeah. only just showed up in this episode. I don't know if she's in next week's episode. We'll see, but like she's got to have something to do other than m- murder a bunch of <laughs> bounty hunters in a storage uh, container shipyard. Though that was amazing, and
1: we'll talk about that. So too. also the way she fights mm-hmm. is so extreme and intense. I'm wondering, does she have the super soldier theorem? Like mm-hmm. is she uh? juicing <laughs> juiced up well juiced um
0: i thought that was a really interesting um when we when we meet this doctor um dr wilford and nagel in the show but that's the code name for dr joseph reinstein in the comics who's from the truth red white and black comics um i think mm-hmm. he's his name has also been used in universe before in the incredible hulk when they're dealing with the super soldier serum and that, I think his name is like on some of the beakers or something like that. Oh, that's so, cool. mm-hmm. so like he's, he's been, he's been around the MCU, but, um, he he mentions that his unlike Erskine, his super soldier serum is not going to turn a skinny Steve into a butterball turkey, right? So people could have the super soldiers, which explains why Aaron Kellerman's character
1: isn't um, all up.
0: Is not all yeah beefy, you know? And so, uh, not so- the r-
1: Randy the Macho Man Savage.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so there could be undercover super soldiers in a way that you know. You know, uh, didn't happen for Steve, and so it's possible that Sharon has a super soldier. Though I think, I feel like she we would have seen her throw people really far if if that were the case. That's the yeah, hallmark she, of the Super Soldier Serum. But yeah, she was, maybe she was putting a hurt on them though. That was, she really was. It was incredible. Um, but uh, okay. So number one, she's the power broker. Number two, she's actually still working for the CIA on like deep cover um deep 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 cover
1: i find it strange that she wouldn't be pardoned when everybody else was pardoned right. right that they wouldn't say oh you know she was part of the team can we give her a pardon too like that just seems odd right. to me so yeah I-, I don't entirely buy that
0: and then number 3 uh option is that she's somehow working with the flag smashers because um carly morganthal the, the you know the leader of the flag smashers gets word of nagel's death really quickly Hmm. So, like, how does she know so quickly? Well,
1: she did have a lot of pulverized friends there at the shipyard. <laughs> I guess they were
0: But those were those flag smashers. I thought those were Madripoor bounty hunters.
1: Mm, okay. Maybe my brain is misconstruing. But. That's okay.
0: I think I think those were Madripoor bounty hunters. So the question is, like, how did she get that news? Did she get it through? Sharon is Sharon working with them or did she get it through Sharon? Because Sharon is the power broker and Sharon and the power brokers like, listen, I really need that serum. My guy just died though. I don't know why the power broker would show their hand that way. Anyway, what's interesting is if you go go back through, there hasn't been a lot of discussion about the power broker, but if you go back through, um, they have not gendered that character and that character is a, is a man in the comics, but who's to say, who's to say,
1: it would be a great twist.
0: It would be fun. Which we have
1: just ruined for you, but when it no. comes, you can go, you, can go well, you know what, Joe and Anthony were right. I I think it gives that character a little more utility, too, because mm-hmm. you run the risk of her just being a generic female sidekick, you know, and, mm-hmm. like, let's give her a real reason to be here, apart from just being the partner of Bucky and, uh, and Sam, you know, Yeah. in this one critical moment.
0: Um... I would like to know why she has clothes that fit Bucky and Sam in her apartment, but you know, that's her business and not mine. Um, <laughs> so, uh, what, what are they
1: like? Uh, I, I should know this working at a magazine like vanity fair, but like, what are those, uh, sizes called that, uh, that are really easy to fit everybody? Like, uh, Sample,
0: sample sizes? sizes, yeah. Sample sizes. I don't know that that like the the uh, muscly MCU types are sample yeah, sizes, right.
1: maybe but they're not. maybe they're not. I can think of them <laughs> as being really fit, so maybe yeah.
0: Yeah, fit, but uh, usually not so muscly. Um, all right, let's talk about Madripoor a little bit. Um, yeah. So Madripoor, oh, well, uh, Anthony, tell the folks listening at home what Madripoor is.
1: Madripoor, like Sokovia or Wakanda, is a fictional. Uh, I don't know if you'd call it a country or jurisdiction in the Marvel universe. It's one of those places where I think the reason that they create places like this um, is because they're bad places. Like this is not a this is not a good place. This is where there's sort of a, a nexus of a lot of uh, uh, black market dealings. I would say Madripoor is like the real world version of the dark web. <laughs>
2: <laughs> dark so, web. <laughs> you know, you don't want to
1: like. Slander an entire real nation by having mm-hmm. such terrible things happen there. So you invent like an island nation. I think it's kind of like, what do they say? It's in the South Pacific, kind of around Indonesia. So it's sort of like this, you know, port of call between, you know, Asia, North America, South America, and, uh, uh, it, you know, and, uh, and then down around the, the, the Horn of Africa. Uh, so it's like it, it's a good like way station, right, for anybody uh, who needs to sh- scuttle around the world and and avoid the uh, detection in the usual uh, you know highly trafficked ports. So uh, does that sum it up? It, it also seems very neon lit. It seems like a it seems like the kind of place that it that at all times inside and out is lit like a nightclub. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's it's got um one of its strongest connections in the comics is to the X-Men. So this mm, is like a yes. fun little like um you know, we get to play in this pool now without <laughs> without giving you actual literal mutants in the, in this episode or in the series maybe, but matter here. Um and the princess there's a little like Princess Bar sign and the Princess Bar is like a place where Wolverine uh hung out from time mm-hmm. to time. So um So yes, yeah, go ahead.
1: The Selby character, uh, who we mentioned as being kind of a crime boss there, played by Imelda Corcoran. Also was on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which has created a little bit of, uh, confusion slash theorizing that maybe her Dr. Goodman is Selby. I don't think that's the case. No, I don't I think that's it, the case either. I yeah. think it's just, uh, we want, like, this Unless
0: actor. Dr. Goodman broke very bad. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, and Selby is like a somewhat minor character in Marvel comics who, uh, was a mutant who had the ability to sort of mind meld with technology and machines. And uh, we didn't really see any of that in this episode, so it's, you know, they, maybe they're just taking the name as a little bit of a nod, and yeah, as you mentioned, Metroport has that X-Men connection. Um, you know, when X-Men, I think it's a good place for X-Men, because at, at different points in the comics, they've had to, you know, go underground and be, uh, for lack, I don't know if this is a good phrase or not, but like in the closet about their powers, and, mm. and, uh, and hide away, uh, because they were hunted and, and, uh, and uh, targeted. So, you know, uh, a place like Madripoor would have been a good place to get where you're going or connect with people who might be able to use your specific talents. Uh, your uh, particular, what is, it, what is it that they particular say? Set can, like, particular set of skills. My particular set of skills.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's been some theorizing about what Madripoor is showing up here. You know, Madripoor was in the trailer, so Marvel fans have been on the lookout for it. And there's been some theorizing about what Madripoor... Setting Madripoor up here could mean for the future of the MCU. And one fun theory um, that I've heard is that we're going to see it in Shang-Chi um, because Shang-Chi is sort of re- rumored to be about a, um, a fighting tournament. Mm-hmm. And so some people are saying, like, maybe that fighting tournament will take place in Madripoor. Um, oh, that's I interesting. Think be, that could be really fun.
1: At this point, do we want to mention the theories or the statements that uh, there's a major cameo midway through the series that's uh, supposedly emotional for people. Could right. Would that be uh, Simu Liu as Shang-Chi? They, Marvel when... loves to introduce its big-time franchise-carrying stars a little bit early, as they did with uh, Chadwick Boseman and Black Panther in Civil War, and uh, Tom Holland in, also in Civil War, when he took on the mantle of Spider-Man. You think That's we might true. get a little early look at Shang Chi?
0: Um, maybe I just don't know how emotional that would be. But then again, like the emotionality of uh, your definition of emotional may vary, and, and certainly for people who have been anxiously awaiting, you know, a leading um, Asian superhero, that might be a really emotional uh, moment for them. Um, I, f- I'll, I'll <laughs> I, this is this is, I guess, where the good place to talk about some of the other theories around that you know w- yeah. we solemnly swear <laughs> to not get overly wound up about theories <laughs> we we have learned our lesson and we solemnly swear right mm-hmm. everyone listening you're in on the pact with us uh there is a a theory going around it's a very popular one and one that i feel a little uneasy about but i thought we should talk about i think sh- it's popular you know.
1: because of wish fulfillment i think people really would like it yeah uh, but, we want
0: yeah we want to talk about it and maybe throw a little bit of cold water on it or maybe it's true we'll see but um some uh, you know this was already a gestating rumor but when florence kasumba's character um i think it's it's io right um io yeah who is one of the, as
1: move or be moved
0: sort <laughs> <laughs> of the Dora Milaje shows up mm-hmm. at the end of this episode people started to wonder if maybe the big cameo in episode five that will be really emotional might be Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa. I immediately have a lot of, uh, thoughts and feelings about this. Um, I am really like, it's sort of a, I'm having like a real yikes, uh, reaction to seeing this start to burble up, um, around the fandom because, um, a, I don't want people to expect that and be let down. And then just B, this is so much more complicated than like, oh, I wonder if Magneto will show up or, you know, yeah, I wonder yeah. if this. Because, you know, Chadwick Boseman um, means so much to so, you know, like the shield means so much <laughs> to so many people. And um I just have to think, my instinct tells me that Marvel would not spring that on people, that that is too much of an emotional twist to spring on people what do you think
1: yeah that seems really heavy to me and yeah um i think you're right that the surprise of it would not be as valuable or would not i think you run the risk of it being like distasteful if you make it right. too much of a like aha moment and i exactly. think Probably, if that was the case, the right tactic would be to say we. You know, everybody should brace themselves for yeah. a farewell performance uh, by Chadwick Boseman. We didn't know that at the time, but uh, he does appear in this. Like, I think that I think fair warning. I think it's like I think, walking I think into the would've... house and seeing somebody who Who died that is just standing there like I think there's a there's a bit of a uh, it's kind of a little bit of pain to that kind of surprise too and, and yet, yet <laughs> it's always nice when someone is gone to discover like a picture of them or like a recording of them that you didn't know existed, and you get a little bit of them back for just a moment that's very nice and and, and a wonderful thing when you when you find it and if that was the case here, I think it could be um it could be very comforting to fans and admirers of his uh i I don't think he i don't think he just spring it on people
0: i just think that they would have done exactly what you said and and uh one of the producers would have positioned a story um you know either at your old home entertainment weekly or somewhere else where they're like you know listen Chadwick Boseman is in this and this is why we decided to keep it. And, you know, like if you think about all the ways in which they talked about Carrie Fisher being in the rise of Skywalker, like that movie for all its flaws, the way they talked about wanting to respect, you know, this is slightly yeah. different, but the way in which they want, they talked about wanting to respect her. I think, you know, we would have seen something similar. So I just, I really think that that is not something that they would do. And I think if they did do it, I think it would be in kind of poor taste to spring it on people. Um, so that leaves the door open for me to, (laughs) to make my guess, (laughs) uh, which is old man, Steve. That's what I would say. I'd say we get, uh, they're talking about Steve in the past tense in this episode. So I don't know if that means that old man, Steve has passed away. Maybe we'll see that in flashback or something like that. But like, why not old man, Steve? Uh, you know, one, one more time. Uh, what do you think?
1: I think I said in one of our earlier episodes that I think the best thing Steve Rogers could contribute is his absence to the show. That's um, fair. that's fair. So I don't think so. Uh, I hate to be hate to be a no on that one.: No, no, no <laughs> it's fine
0: i I'm, I'm just trying to figure I guess I was trying to figure out what could be really emotional um yeah, to funny. see. And since I'm anti Chadwick Boseman being here with much love and respect to Chadwick Boseman, um I'm wondering if if that's something that would make us emotional if, if it
1: definitely would be emotional. Um it, you know. You know, I think maybe it's someone else from the Black Panther universe. You know?
0: Maybe, but again, I don't know. I mean maybe, maybe seeing like maybe um Shuri showing up or something like that. Um, but, I like, the thing like, is... Like,
1: Danai Gur- Gurira's character, or yeah. Okoya, or Okoye, uh, yeah. um, Lupita, turning up as, you know, the war dog, because her whole thing was that she traveled the world to protect Wakanda's interests, so, you know, making a stop in Madripoor, or wherever they, the, the, you know, this story takes them around the globe, could be interesting, you know, I think it's gotta be somebody we have an investment in, right?
0: Yeah, I guess, I just, you know, and... and- Everyone's definition of emotional is different. So, like, let's try not to read too much into the show, the, the head writer doing exactly his job, which is to get people excited about the show. But, uh, you know, your interpretation of emotional may vary. Uh, so what he finds emotional may not be something that, that, uh, kicks you off. So, uh, we shall see, but those are just some thoughts, thoughts and some <laughs> thoughts and prayers about episode five. Uh, let's talk about Isaiah Bradley a little bit. So Isaiah gets, um, a couple mentions in this episode we find out that the new batch of super soldier serum was um made from his blood from experiments on him and further experiments on him right Mm -hmm. and that makes me really worried (laughs) because if the if the scientist is dead and there are a few doses left and the flag smashers have them um there's also the possibility that Someone will want to go after Isaiah, the source himself, Isaiah, to get more Ooh. of his blood or uh, or just to take him out like Zemo might just want to eliminate um, Isaiah as a possible source. And one of the reasons that I'm worried about the Zemo factor is that when <laughs> – Bucky and Sam are talking about Isaiah on the plane and, and Sam says Isaiah's name. Zemo's in soft focus right behind them. And I'm just like, Sam, don't say <laughs> – not in front of Zemo. Not in front of the war criminal. No, 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 no. Um, So I'm worried about Isaiah. um, Big time. So that's, that's – awesome. I think,
1: yeah, and that turns him into the MacGuffin of the story. Mm-hmm. Okay, Joanna, so what was the – what's the exact quote about the emotional – cameo or appearance um that's that's got us all speculating
0: yeah okay so this is an interview that Malcolm Spellman gave and uh he said two things and I guess people are kind of conflating them in a way that maybe we shouldn't but anyway he says episode five is is gonna viewers are gonna cry hands down five it just gets real and five you're gonna cry so that's it five episode five you're gonna cry he says Hmm. um and then when asked about his dream Marvel pairings uh, Malcolm revealed that there's a character who he regards as the episode five character that he would love to see side by side with Thor, describing the individual as someone who has a strong personality. And he says, there are characters in our series who I would love to see partnered with. Like, it's a very, very grounded character partnered partnered with one of the big world shakers like Thor or someone like that. The personality is so strong. It's the episode five character. I'd love to see that character with Thor.
1: I think so, he's maybe talking about Isaiah Bradley. He could be, because, he could because, be because, um, The um, the performance is so intense, and we know that we're going to get you know uh, a look at him in in his younger days. We hope so. Yes, originally we expected or or hope Mm -hmm. for. And I think like that point in the narrative would be a great place to rewind and flashback to how this all started Mm -hmm. with Isaiah. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: so, you know, he'd be a yeah. I could see him like like a real human put through this um not just oh he's a mortal but like someone who has a human reaction to this which is it hurts i've been used (laughs) um Mm -hmm. up against or up alongside um uh thunder god right Mm -hmm. like that's kind of an interesting mix of uh of stories and flavors and so yeah i think i think maybe he's talking about isaiah bradley there
0: Um, I like that a lot. I like that interpretation a lot. Um, I think there's been some some speculation, and and certainly we see uh, him running towards the the line, this episode, John Walker, running towards a line that he can cross that he can't uncross, right? And there's been some speculation that it might have to do with uh, Isaiah and and, uh, Eli Bradley because Eli Bradley in the comics um Isaiah's grandson um gets traumatically injured and the only way for him to survive is to get a blood transfusion and he gets it from his grandfather and that's how mm. he gets his powers
1: That's cool
0: So yeah so so there's been some theory that like maybe John Walker in his attempt to get to Isaiah or whatever will be the one to injure Eli and that will be the a, a line that he has crossed that he can't come back from
1: he's already crossed some lines in this episode yeah but for sure, but before, <laughs> for we get sure. To th- before we get to that I yeah. think you know I, uh, what I wanted to say is I like the idea of Isaiah becoming the MacGuffin of the story mm-hmm. a lot of times the MacGuffin is a phrase you use for like the object that everybody's seeking that really is you know only consequential to the plot just to give them a goal um, mm-hmm. But 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 the but the idea of living MacGuffins I think is always interesting because they have a say in the story as well. Like they have agency in the in the narrative, and so you know if if suddenly it's we need uh, we need his uh, vital fluids, his blood to create the super soldier serum, and it's a matter of protecting a living human being who's also mm-hmm. been pretty wrongly treated over mm-hmm. his life. Mm-hmm. That that's an interesting dynamic. I think And a, some and someone that Sam already feels good.
0: very emotional about, you know. Yeah. How, even having just met him feels very emotional about. Um yeah, I love that. There's something that um Damon Lindelof uh has said uh that that has really stuck with me about this idea of how to um the best answer to a mystery is a person. <laughs> And this is something that I that I that I first heard about him saying in terms of. Um,
1: I love that. That's a great, yeah, that's great writing advice.
0: <laughs> um in in Lost, if 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 you're listening, and you haven't watched Lost. Uh, one of the big mysteries of, in Lost season one was like there's this mysterious hatch. What's in the hatch? What's in the hatch? What's down the hatch? What's in the hatch? And we find out in season two, episode one, that it's. <laughs> It's a hot Scotsman named Desmond. <laughs> uh, like the mystery is, is a, is a, man. And, uh, and it's so yeah, Desmond, I, right. I love, Am I remembering right? Yeah. yeah. So I love when a, a MacGuffin is a person. I agree with you. So like, mm-hmm. you know, what do we got to protect? And I mean, and that I think goes with, I mean, it's, we only have four episodes left. So how is this all going to pan out? I don't know, but it goes with that vibe. I feel like that, that, that buddy, uh, action road comedy vibe like there's often like sometimes there's like a child or like a joe pesci or like someone you <laughs> have to protect um you know not that isaiah bradley is defenseless but still you know it's uh it's interesting so
1: no because it's uh, but the reason it's interesting not that he's defenseless but mm-hmm. that um you always want something that you can't destroy you know that um Where the resolution to the story isn't just like, oh, we got to get rid of this thing. Oh, Um, like –
0: well, yeah. And and they did this with Vision in Endgame, right?
1: Exactly, right? So, like, Vision is the reason we can't just – why not just smash the uh, Mind Stone? Well, because it's in our friend. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, he Mm – it's his power source. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you know, that – a great example is, uh, I think uh, – it's not a living example, but uh, John Frankenheimer's movie The Train. You ever seen seen that? With no, Robert I haven't. Lancaster? Oh, it's great! So it's like French Revolution, height of, uh, of World War Two. The Nazis are losing and they're retreating from France, and as they retreat, they decide they're going to loot Paris of all of its art treasures and put them on a train and pack them up for Berlin. Oh, a heist. And the French <laughs> resistance, led by Bert Lancaster, has to devise a way. Uh-huh. To stop the train, but you can't destroy the train. Like if the train was carrying troops or arms, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. just blow it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't want to blow up all these irreplaceable works of art. Uh, so you've got to like stop it and, <laughs> and retrieve it. You great MacGuffin, you know. Uh, and 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 a person is the same thing. Is you just you can't destroy them. You've got to protect them, um, and uh, from those who would destroy it.
0: I love this. Um I am I'm am, uh, firmly Veered now off into attached like to the 1960s war movie territory. No, Sorry about that. <laughs> I'm attached to this Isaiah Protect Isaiah uh theory. He's not it's not a vial of serum, it's a man with, you know, blood coursing through his veins. So, um so let us get, let's go to John Walker. Okay, like if it's John Walker, if this is something that happens, um we should say that a lot of people suspect that you know, I was holding out some hope for a John Walker redemption um, by the end of the season last week, but not, those are all gone this week. I'm like, no, this guy's gonna break bad, is what it feels like. And um,
1: just ha- the rules don't apply to him, right? Yeah. yeah. So he's not. Do somebody- you know who I
0: am? Ugh,
1: you know, uh, I like that. That phrase is <laughs> there a phrase? I mean, there there have to be worse phrases, but the- in terms of just like, ah, irritating. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know who I am? Is ugh.
0: So bad. But um, there are some theories that, um, uh, you know, just as we've been talking about the idea of them sprinkling young Avengers throughout the series, like Eli Bradley might be the one we get out of this one, Patriot, um, that there are sprinkling um, characters who might form a super uh, team called the Thunderbolts uh, throughout the series and um u.s agent uh which is john walker another name that john walker went by uh could definitely be on that team baron zemo we should say is in the comics is the one who formed the thunderbolts and it's just sort of a super team so you could think about it's fun to think about all the characters who have been left alive um all the villains who have been left Mm. alive from it's so it's not quite the suicide squad, but like, um, but thinking about all the villains that we could potentially have, like, um, the ghost from, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, you know, there's a few, if you think about it and, Vulture uh,
1: from Spider-Man, although I think he's staying in universe in the Spider-Man realm.
0: I think that's right. Um, but, uh, and then there's been a lot of talk about, um, William Hurt's character being Red Hulk, um, which is a, a fun. Thunderbolt um, Ross, right? Yeah, Thunderbolt Ross. So, um,
1: last scene is, I mean, previously he was a general, but I think he was secretary of state or defense. Maybe.
0: Yeah, so, but he might, he might not be able to resist that super soldier serum, man, and turn into Red, Red Hulk. Hulk. And if he's Red Hulk, um, you know, that might be a way like, and if he's Red Hulk and like, uh, you know, <laughs> smart Hulk stays Hulk, then uh you could just have William hurt voice him and not have to like i just i it cracks me up whenever masks are introduced in something like this it cracks me up because i was like yeah zemo has to put his mask on so that Poor Daniel Broll doesn't have to do fun, like fight choreography. They could just have someone else jump in with that mask on. Same with the flag smashers. Just put those those masks down, oh, yeah. and then they it's can then they def- can get call the stunt doubles in. So.
1: flag smashers, budget protectors. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <Like, laughs> I mean, you can also stitch people's faces on. I remember. Can I tell? Okay, now is the time for a war story from the set. Like Ooh, I love remember it. on Civil or on uh, Winter Soldier interviewing Anthony Mackie and he was like I was like so wait, what were you doing this morning I saw you up in the harness and he was like oh yeah they were just dropping me from 50 feet in the air face down to get this <laughs> particular shot and they're like hey can you not scream <laughs> on the way down and he's like uh, I'm sorry I can't I'm, I just can't I, every time you drop me I'm going to scream you're just going to have to replace my face and at that point I'm like well, why don't they just drop somebody else <laughs> Like you are going to replace the face um but uh uh Oh I have a I have a little correction too, by the way. Mm. I think I said in one of the previous episodes that the uh parking lot, the shipping yard parking lot in uh Captain America that I visited was the uh scene with uh uh Bat Bat Rock Rock the Leaper and it was yeah. actually the fight at the end. Uh I realized when watching it again. Oh no, it wasn't a, that wasn't on that ship. It was on top of the uh helicarrier where oh, Steve and Bucky okay. are fighting it and uh Sam is flying around. So anyway, just a little.
0: Lemurian star correction. Got you. Mm -hmm. Um, All right.
1: Our producer,
0: Dave, Mm -hmm. (laughs) has a theory that John Walker has already juiced. And I don't think he has, because I don't think he would have like let the flag smashers get the better of him on top of that train if he had already juiced. So I think he's really going to be the actively pursuing those remaining doses and or isaiah that's what i think um yeah and that that once he juices because in in the comic book uh john walker does get his super soldier serum from the power broker um and that once he does juice like that might be just like like you know point of no return for a man who already seems just really ill suited for this role of captain america you know
1: i I think marvel has a habit of of not misleading us sometimes with things like this. Like, uh, when they say he hasn't had the super soldier serum yet, you know, they make a point of explaining that. So I think there's no point in like, there's not much surprise value in, Oh no, he did. That was a lie. It's just like, okay, I guess she just told us a falsehood. It's not really a surprise. Um, but I think that was put there as a marker, like just so you know, he hasn't had it, which means that's his motivation for wanting it. Yeah, I think it's kind of like that odd moment in WandaVision. I was
0: going to say the Scarlet right? Witch moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, where Randall exactly.
1: Park's character is like uh, asked, does she have any interesting like superhero code name? <laughs> and he's like, nope. And and what's funny is they don't, he doesn't just say no. They're like, are you sure? And he's like, yes, I'm absolutely sure. Not a no one. Nickname. <laughs> And it's like, I think they do they even follow up like, are you really sure? Yep. I'm a hundred percent sure. And it's just like. Just so that at the end, when Agatha says, you're the Scarlet Witch, we can go, oh, yeah, we haven't yeah. heard that before, except that we completely... all have been calling her Scarlet Witch for years.
0: <laughs> I completely agree. <laughs> I, I think that's why John Walker's like, nope, don't have any super strength. I still, I just still have a lot of questions about um why he's able to use the shields if he doesn't have any super strength yet. Because, like, uh, someone I, – I said that last week, and someone pointed out there, like, it really robs – it really sucks the juice <laughs> not to – makes my juice metaphors. It really sucks the juice out of that moment in winter soldier when Bucky grabs a shield Mm. and you're like, Oh damn. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, Oh no, who is this guy who can hold on to this shield flying at him full speed? You know? So John Walker should not be able to use the shield that way. So, um, we better learn that, that Steve did something to this new shield to make it, uh, usable for mortals. I don't know. Um, All right. I only have one last thing on my list that I want to talk about, which is um, Spellman – Malcolm Spellman gave another interview where he was talking about Danny Torres, who we only hear as like the guy on the phone in this episode. Um, But he was saying that um, originally they had a big arc set out for him um, and then they just didn't have enough episode space to do it but that they still have something planned for him. So whether or not that means he becomes the Falcon the way that he does in the comic books, I don't know, but you know, that they that they have something they want to do with. There's tourists. always
1: another story, right? Like uh, <laughs> like Rhodey said in the original Iron Man, next time when he looks at the war machine armor. You know?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. But yeah, it's just it's it's interesting though, like cuz watching the show I'm like, I'm excited that the that the Dora Milaje is here, but I'm also like, oh, we're doing Wakanda now, too? Like, this is a lot. There's a lot going on in this show. So I was really glad this episode had space to sit with Aaron Kellerman's character for a little bit longer. I felt like uh, I, I would have loved to have had that scene where she talks about wanting to be a teacher in, like, episode one. But maybe they were just really trying to convince us that these were villains before they were like, actually, <laughs> there's nuance here. But then actually she blew up a car. So it's, you know, it's a
1: And a building with people in it. And
0: a building with people in it. Yeah. And like so she so Carly has has this, you know, lieutenant who sort of seems a little bit like he might have a loose grip on a moral compass. And the same is true of John, right? Lamar is going along with him, but he seems, he's like, listen, the the flag smashers don't seem that bad. And okay. I guess this one's off the books then, huh? Like, like, like Lamar breaking with John might be the, like his, his longtime friend, John might be the moment, you know, that helps to signal for us as an audience. Not that we need that signal. This is over for this guy. (laughs) Yeah.
1: We got that. Yeah. Sorry. No, go ahead. The, uh, end, in the previous episode, when we got that really disturbing scene with the police outside Isaiah's house, where he, mm-hmm. they question Sam, like, who are <laughs> – again, don't you know who I am? <laughs> uh, in a different context. But Sam
0: didn't say that. Yeah, he That's didn't. That's the no, difference. No.
1: it was like uh, – I think – yeah exactly but he like, he uh, has
0: had two opportunities to say that because he could have said that in the bank too and
1: he didn't uh-huh. he like
0: he was kind of like you know come on you know like yeah, but he didn't yeah. say like I'm Falcon and I think that's a very intentional definitely there. yeah
1: but John Walker's character I mean he remind I think he's almost standing in for the for the um, issues that we have now with the way law enforcement operates that there's this whole discussion around defund the police but we do need people to enforce laws and investigate crimes and yet the people who do that have to hold themselves to a standard that's very high and he does not hold himself to that standard John Walker as we saw him behave in this episode is somebody who thinks because my intentions are good my actions are justified and that's not true you know he's he's acting like every out of line person in authority who misuses that authority mm-hmm. and don't you know who I am is just sort of the uh well I'm the I'm the good guy I'm the blue line between you and chaos and anarchy and yet I've been a big believer in a long time that it, you know it's very easy to go the wrong way while trying to guide people the right way and you can sometimes become the thing you're fighting against. I think mm-hmm. we all feel this like when we are very upset and angry about politics or the state of the world, like, like you have to, I find I have to protect myself or hold myself back. Don't become another troll and another angry voice online. Don't become like the horrible thing you're fighting against because sometimes you have that fight fire with fire feeling in you and i think uh i think that's just a human thing across uh all people but when you give somebody uh, a badge or in this case a shield and say this protects you from any criticism you have to have that internal watchdog that says don't go don't cross this line and i just do not think john walker has it doesn't have it right and which is the
0: thing inside of steve that erskine saw right exactly
1: exactly precisely yeah
0: yeah, i think about we got some emails and and richard and i talked about this a little bit in the first segment this some emails responding to my prompt of like what makes a captain america someone made the really good point that like captain america is actually consistently uh, a a voice kind of questioning the government whereas john walker says i am the government right You're,
1: absolutely. Um, I, isn't that very interesting that so often in the civil war comics captain america was critical of the, the actions of the government you know when there were things there were a lot of uh, metaphors about u.s actions abroad and mm-hmm. uh, uh and the war on terror and the stories that captain america was involved in were much more like i don't know that i like this version, this fictional version of the Patriot Act, it feels like a violation of what we believe in. He was not the, he's not jingoist. He is not a nationalist. Right. He stands for the ideal rather than the, you know, my country right or wrong, my country.
0: Right. And in the MCU, you know, like in Winter Soldier, he's he's battling shields. <laughs> and in the yeah. um, first Avenger, I think it's, you know, it's there a bit too, where he's just sort of like, his government is telling him to just be like a, you know a a poster boy and he's just sort of like N- no yeah, yeah. i don't think that's what i should be um and there's this very famous captain america quote so famous that it's actually on a poster a captain america poster that i have on my fridge and have had on my fridge for like uh 5 years or whatever um when the mob and the press and the whole world tell you to move your job is to plant yourself like a tree by the river of truth and tell the whole world no you move they gave that line to sharon in um Civil War, but um, you know, that's a famous, from the comics, famous Cap quote, and that idea of like y- you know, <laughs> you, that moral, exactly what you're saying, that moral compass, that watchdog inside you is true and you believe in it, and so y- you're planting yourself as saying, no, you move, because we believe that Steve is probably right when he makes that decision.
1: Well, because but he's John- asking if he's yeah. right. He's questioning himself at all times.
0: Right, but John is sure he's right as well and we can tell that he's wrong, so mm-hmm. there you go um all right, well, I think that's all that's all I had to say. Is there anything else you wanted to to add?
1: I wanted to hit uh, Zemo's mask again oh because yeah, yeah. He, okay. he wore it so frequently in the comics, yeah, and that's sort of what hit the visage that he became known for, yeah, um, kind of the hooded face and uh uh he ins- there's a a little bit of controversy out there in the the geek sphere uh about. How that character was ripped off by uh people believe the Cobra commander character in g i Joe was uh basically Captain Zemo just with a different mask <laughs> and uh I really agree with that i think it, whether it was intentional or not, Zemo really got co opted uh inspiring this sort of radical terrorist leader who wears a mask and shrieks and is uh oh I had him. no idea. yeah yeah and uh you know the mask also the mask he wears the purple kind of ribbed ski mask thing yeah i think uh uh, reminds me a little bit of if if you'll recall fat albert the character dumb donald who had like the pink (laughs) like mask or or hat that he would pull down and he had like the little eye holes cut out uh that's just a little joking aside uh, nothing against the zemo character but when you wear like a sort of ribbed ski mask and pull it down over your face. Uh there's only so many touchstones in pop culture to hit on and uh <laughs> commander and unfortunately dumb Donald or <laughs> among, well, it's, among fun- them. I,
0: it's funny I'll bring up our producer Dave again and say mm-hmm. that when um when we found out that Zemo was going to be in civil war, uh he and I got into an argument about that because he was sure that Zemo was gonna have the purple mask in Civil War. And I
1: was mm-hmm. like,
0: I hate that. I was at a point with Marvel where I was really um against um like i I was thinking about christopher eccleston in thor the dark world or lee pace as ronan the destroyer and i think both of those actors are capable would have been capable of even more much much more if they hadn't been buried under like latex and stuff like that you know what i mean like ronan is is really hampered by this like weird rubber rubbery cowl that he has to wear it's just like yeah Lee, Pitt, like you could put anyone in that role it's like a, a, a real waste of pace is what i have to say about that so um that's i like guardians of the galaxy but i think ronan's a really uh kind of a weak well, uh villain and so i was really resistant to that i was like marvel needs to stop burying their good actors under this villainy makeup and so the fact that zemo shows up in civil war um and and you know, it's just Daniel Bruhl being a real guy um, made me so happy. And then I didn't mind that the mask was here for like a fight. That's fine. <laughs> like I, think I saw if you're putting it-, it on
1: for is it, as an uh, as a little like decoration, you know, for a fight scene or like a little extra bit of flair. It's okay. <laughs> but I think this, the mask, in a narrative way, serves the purpose of dehumanizing a villain, so it's a yeah. little easier to hate them. And what Marvel has found great success with is. Creating villains like Killmonger mm-hmm. uh, or Vulture, who you actually are like, oh, I kind of, mm, I feel you as a person. Like you are, I feel your intention. I see your heart a little more. Yeah, you know, and uh, the mask gets in the way of that. But then when you want them just to be scary, a mask works great. I'm sorry. Where you? I did I step on something you were going to say?
0: No, no, no. Okay. Uh, the other uh, the the recent um discussion I'll say that Dave and I had um, was about Christian Bale's character uh, in Thor. Um, Cause he's playing um, the God killer, Gore, the God butcher. Right. And in, in the comics, Gore, the God butcher has no nose. It's a very Voldemorty look. Um, and Dave is sure that that's what they're going to do in, in Thor um, love and thunder. The film that's coming out. And I don't know, <laughs> like I, uh, there's a part of me that wants to do that. And there's a part of me that wants Christian Bale to have full use of his face. Um, but, uh, Dave reminded me that this is Tycho. So he'll probably want to go for the noseless option.
1: Um Maybe I could see them also having him lose his nose in, ba- or does he lose his nose? I don't know. There's just natural. Born
0: natural that way. I don't know the answer to that. Cosmetic
1: um, surgery, perhaps.
0: <laughs> It's a look. It's a choice. Anyway, uh that's that's uh, Falcon Witch Soldier episode three. We're halfway through. Uh, we've got some fun theories cooking. We threw some cold water on some other theories, and mm-hmm. uh we'll see we'll see what happens next week. Uh until then, Anthony, where can folks find you?
1: Uh folks can find me on vanityfair.com and uh you know uh reliving the glory days, constantly talking about my old movie set visits. <laughs> Just out on the street corner. That's where I'll be doing. It.
0: <laughs> Put a hat out, <laughs> Anthony. Uh-
1: <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to hear about Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen?
0: <laughs> I'll be on Twitter at Joe wrote this. You can find me at VanityFair.com, and we will see you uh, on the next installment of Falcon and the Winter Soldier.
1: Bye.